Good evening, guys. Um, we're from Maine. Uh, I got to ask, show of hands, if you've ever been to the state of Maine, put your hand up so I can see. All right. Okay. You guys, anyone ever go in the wintertime? Oh, one did. <laughs> you never went back, did you? We, we, we just landed a couple hours ago, my wife and I and our twin uh, three-year-olds. We have a boy and a girl. Uh, they're three years old, and uh, God has been so good to us and our family. But we are so privileged to be here for the week uh, for many reasons. I, I think very highly of your pastor, Zach, and we're grateful for Zach and Amanda and the team having us come down and uh, later in the week sharing the word with the men at the re- retreat. But our, uh, our aim, our anticipation for this next 45 minutes or so is to, you know, uniquely and personally tell our stories, but also testify together about how God brought the two of us together. Uh, I, I know Zach and Amanda told us that you guys are going through this series of relationships, and uh, my, my wife and I, we would be the, the first to testify, and we did the, when we first got into a relationship years ago, leading towards marriage, we would be the first to testify that we had done the relationships completely the wrong way every time before her and I got together. I had only done relationships the wrong way. And I was 27, 28 years old at that time. And my wife likewise. And so I was so grateful for men in my life, Christian men. I know Maddie was so grateful for Christian women who modeled a godly relationship in, in, in leading towards marriage. So let me just spend a few minutes. I'm going to try and kind of paraphrase um, the years of rebellion in my life. And I'm going to stop maybe at a point where then Maddie can share likewise. And then we're going to kind of go back and forth in, in uh, hopes to try and, you know, kind of synchronize our story as to where we are currently. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a Bangor, Maine native. And many of you guys know Pastor Ken Graves. And in the sovereignty of God, uh, I was set up. Um, by that, I mean my family. I'm one of four boys, two sets of twins. My mom had four of us all within three years. And my mom and dad still are happily married. So my family lived in rural Bangor, Maine. And I remember being in about seventh grade when this big, scary lumberjack preacher guy moved next door. Um, Ken. And, you know, his daughter, Jess, was me and my twin brother the same age. And so we were kind of acquainted with one another. And, and truthfully, I, I remember Ken... And if you know Ken, he's not just this big lumberjack kind of bravado guy, but he is the real deal. He is the most gracious, uh, I, I believe, humble man. I mean, he, he is my pastor. I'm so grateful for him. He's the real deal. But I remember being in seventh or eighth grade when Ken came down to the house to just kind of get to know our family and whatnot. And I think he knew that there were some kids the same age as his daughter. And I remember him knocking on the door and being like, uh, do you kids want to come work out with me? And <laughs> I'm like in seventh grade. I'm like, who are you, dude? Of course not. <laughs> but I say that there was a setup. I was a setup from the Lord where years later in addiction, kicked out of the Marine Corps for heroin, and my life just spiraling out of control. The only person I knew that was in ministry was Ken Graves. And so I, I was dragged to church as a kid. My mom, um, for years of her marriage and years of my childhood, was unequally yoked. I have a wonderful dad a very moral man, but my dad was not a believer, uh, and my mom was, and so my mom would drag us to church, and um, 
a little quaint church where the gospel was preached, and this man, Roger Tracy, was a one-man show. He would, you know, he would do the worship, and then he'd pass out the elements of communion if it was communion Sunday, and then he'd get up and teach, and then he'd, you know, by the time the service was over, he'd be in the back of the room shaking hands. I mean, Roger was a one-man show, but he was a faithful man to preach the gospel. I'm 13 years old hearing the gospel, hearing about heaven and hell, and the only way to get saved from one and into the other is by grace through faith. And I heard the gospel, and my heart at 13 responded to it. But I'm also like in public high school and, you know, playing football and everyone's like smoking marijuana or having sex with their girlfriend or, you know, the the world. So like what I knew to be true and what was actual real in front of me was two different things. And my life just really began to spiral, all of it never denying Christ, which is a really dangerous thing. You would probably agree, right? I was never an atheist. I was fairly conservative, even in my, in my thinking, in my politics as a kid. And so, you know, I, I would defend the faith with my words, but as a teenager, then into my 20s, but by my actions, I was a total heathen, which is a really dangerous place to be. Oxycontin, uh, you know, I think Maine and Florida had this really unhealthy connection, right? I mean, the pill mills of Florida and, and Highway 95 that brings all the Oxycontin up to, to Maine. I, I, I'm one of, uh, I don't know, millions probably who uh, was affected by that opioid epidemic. Um, my own free choice at 18 years old, I began to experiment with the party scene, alcohol, cocaine, and then Oxycontin. And when I, when I was introduced to opium uh, in a pill form, I wanted to do that every day of my life. And I pursued it. And uh, it was a horrible addiction. Uh, it wasn't long before I was now intravenously using and uh, at that time, I was going to what is called Maine Maritime Academy. It's a military prep college. So I'm like living two lives. I'm like wearing a military uniform, going to college, leaving class early to drive back into Bangor to get high so I wouldn't be sick. And it was just kind of miserable season of my life and had an intervention by my mom, dad, and my twin brother. And my means of getting out of my addiction when I was kind of you know, pressed against the wall by my family was I'll join the Marine Corps. You know, I'd always, as a kid, wanted to be in the military, but life kind of happened, and I followed my twin brother to college, and things were just really messy, and so I said, all right, fine, I'll join the Marine Corps. And um, I did that. I, I went to Paris Island at uh, 20 years old. Uh, I, I was maybe a week off opium, and, and I truly didn't think I'd make it through boot camp. I was so unhealthy, and by the grace of God, I did. Made it through the eight weeks of infantry training, and then kind of thought, all right, that addiction thing was behind me, uh, you know, on to a new season. But the problem was, is nothing inside of me changed, right? And in the military, especially in the Marine Corps, especially in the infantry, it's kind of like you play hard, you party harder. And so I'm like, a former heroin addict, but no one really knows that. Everyone else just like drinks really hard and trains hard. So I'm like, all right, I, I can do that. And it was my pastor, Ken, and maybe you've heard him testify. I love the way he talks about, you know, um, extreme worshipers. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I, believe I, I believe all of us. I, I think we're, as humans, we're created to worship. And I knew in my life I was an extreme worshiper of sin, and I, I found out that during that season of when the men I was serving with and on the weekends could go and party before returning back to training on Monday morning, you know, I didn't know how to shut it off. And so I was kicked out of the Marine Corps for a heroin overdose in 2008. And then this long journey of trying to get clean and sober happened for me in my 20s. 
And remember I made uh, mention earlier about Ken Graves, right? The only person I knew in ministry was this guy, Ken. And so I went through a discipleship program, getting kicked out of the Marine Corps in, in uh, San Diego called Teen Challenge, um, Assemblies of God discipleship program. And when I finished that program, I had a, a period of being clean and sober. The staff member was like, all right, what's your next step? And I said, well, I, I know this guy back home in Maine who's a preacher. And uh, the guy said, who's that? I said, Ken Graves. And I didn't know Ken was well known. The guy was like, you know Ken Graves? I said, you know Ken Graves? <laughs> and uh, I got plugged in with, with, with Ken Graves. And, and I'm going to, in a minute, just kind of hand it off to Maddie. Because what I want to say is, I, I wish I could say uh, from that point on, I just really began to, you know, forsake all and follow Christ. But I had a long season, even after getting reconnected in my 20s with Pastor Ken and the Calvary Residential Discipleship Program and Calvary Chapel Bangor, of compromise. And I think this is important, especially with the topic tonight. A lot of that compromise for me began with uh, sexual immorality where I, I didn't want to be a heroin addict anymore, like kicked out of the Marine Corps, dope sickness, bad reputation, all the stuff that goes with like a heroin addiction. I learned quickly in my heroin addiction, it wasn't pleasant, right? So when I when I'd find freedom, I didn't want to go back to being a heroin addict. But like, I could date like the rest of the world dates, right? Or, you know, I could have like a beer on the weekend or, and I just have, would have these seasons of compromise that would bring me right back to, you know, a heroin addiction, stealing money, and so I think that's important to say, but I'm, I'm going to kind of hand it off now to Maddie and let her testify up until uh, that point in, in my story. Okay, so I'm originally not from Maine. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I grew up in a great Christian home. Well, I say that because I was in the Bible Belt. Everybody went to church on Sunday morning in a beautiful dress with a big bow in your hair, and that's just what you did, but um, from Monday to Saturday, we lived a completely different life. Christ was not Lord of our home. Um, I was corrected with the Bible verses, like um, the truth will set you free. And then I would get a spanking when I'd tell the truth. And so I thought, the truth doesn't set you free. The truth gets you a spanking. So I learned very early on how to manipulate, how to lie, how to sneak. And by the time I was 11, it really came out that the Lord was not... Um, was not center in our home when um, my mom's affair, which was taking place in the church, all came to light. And so my dad was done with the church at that point. My parents divorced, and this provided me with just enough distraction to continue on that path of sneakiness, worldliness, um, partying. But just like Travis made mention of, I was the girl too. By I started partying by the age of 12, 13. That when you were drinking at people's house on the weekends, it was Monday morning, Tuesday morning, I was still wanting to drink, I was still wanting to use pills. Um, and by the time I was 15, it was really made clear to me that I had a dependence on these drugs. Again, I didn't wake up and think I wanted to be a drug addict one day, nobody thinks that way. So, um, but it quickly sneaks up on you, right? The first few times is fun and that's really an approach I want to take with my kids one day is to let them know sin is pleasurable for a season. You know, I was told, don't, don't do these things. They're bad. They're, you know, not good. And that's what kind of religion did to me was um, all of these rules. So church was really unappealing to me 
really unappealing to me. So by the time I was 17 years old, I'm kind of jumping through because the God stuff's really the good stuff. Um, so by the time I was 17, I was completely dependent on heroin, intravenously using, in a, an abusive relationship, um, and I was actually living with my boyfriend at the time. I was a se senior in high school. Um, I'd moved out of my dad's house, who was, at the time of the divorce, the less strict parent, so I moved in with him so I could continue partying, but my lifestyle got to him, and he kicked me out. So senior year, I'm living with a, with a boy, and um, his mom had kind of become my mom, you know, she was the cool mom, using drugs, giving us drugs, and I'm sitting on the porch with her one afternoon, and um, she says to me, you know, I love my son, but you need to get out of here. You're going to end up like me in chains one day. And I, that stuck with me, and I thought, you know, wow, she, what, is she, what does she mean? But a week later, we found her face up in her own vomit. She had overdosed and died. And so we walked in on that scene, and it still wasn't enough of a wake-up call. It actually led to two more years of me using. So by the time I was 19, just monstrous drug addiction. This boy that was my boyfriend at the time was horribly abusive to me. Um, and I was really at the end of my road when one night I had overdosed on heroin and cocaine. Different group of friends um, had loaded me up into a car when they couldn't get this girl with a white face and blue lips to move. Loaded me up into a car and threw me on the side of the road. And I was dead on arrival at a hospital. Somebody passed, like some people passed by and took me to a hospital. I didn't get to meet them. But I was dead on arrival at a hospital in Chattanooga. And when I woke up, the feeling of emptiness, the feeling of hopelessness, despair, but again, not enough of a wake-up call. I really just wanted to go use that night. Um, they don't let you walk from a hospital, so I had to call a friend from high school that actually called my mom. Hope none of this is confusing. Drug addiction is confusing. So, <laughs> um, so uh, this, this girl actually had told my mom um, what was going on, and this led my, to my mom, who I hadn't had a relationship with in years, who had come back to the Lord, repented, and she just... But again, she didn't know how to deal with this drug-addicted daughter, it led me on a four-month search for freedom, really with everything the world has to offer. NA meetings, AA meetings, five-day detoxes, 30-day rehabs. Each place I went to, I was just like the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. You know, she spent all she had at the hand of these doctors, but instead of growing better, she grew worse, is what verse 26 of that chapter says. So I knew every place I went, I felt like the exception. Um, I felt like I was never going to get it. I felt like I was never, um, I, I just couldn't turn down drugs. Again, I was going back to that girl in middle school that couldn't stop. That was me now relapsing over and over and over again. So, again, f four months later, I realized you know, you could take drugs out of my life, but my heart wasn't healed. I hadn't met the heart healer yet. So I was still the same exact person coming out of rehab. Even if I had no drugs, I was still that liar, that manipulator, that broken, depressed girl. I was, by the time I really hit my knees and, and met the Lord Jesus, I was on eight different pills, some taken twice daily, because doctors just kept saying, this is because you're depressed. This is because you 
have anxiety. This is because you are an insomniac. You don't sleep enough. This is because you have personality disorder, bipolar disorder, ADHD. So I had all these pills I was taking and again, just kept growing worse, more depressed. I was at the point of suicide when my mom set up a meeting with a Calvary Chapel Chattanooga pastor who finally told me the truth and said, I know the, exactly the place you need to go. Um, we're going to get you a plane ticket. They actually paid my way to Bangor, Maine, okay? I'm a Tennessee girl, <laughs> so that did not sound appealing. Probably to some of you, you're probably thinking the same thing. I could never go do a winter there. So um, on New Year's Eve of 2013, I flew in on a very cold, wintry night <laughs> to Bangor, Maine, and little did I know that was... Travis here's birthday, okay? So he was relapsed, and he'll get to this story, but <laughs> he's on the streets actually getting robbed at knife point. He'll tell this, but yeah. <laughs> so he thought this was the worst birthday ever, but little did he know that Jesus brought him a birthday present, a drug-addicted, weirdo, <laughs> totally strung out, skinny, crazy girl flying into Maine. Yeah, um... <laughs> So I, you know, picking up right there, 2013, it was my 27th birthday. I had done round number one at the Calvary Residential Discipleship Program. So I had done the Teen Challenge Program in my early 20s after getting kicked out of the Marine Corps. Uh, fell back into compromise, back on drugs, and came into the uh, Ken Graves 12-month program um, in the early parts of 2013. And again, started compromising and, and fell into sin. And so in December of 2013, I had been asked to leave the program. I was using four or $500 a day worth of heroin and just running with a bunch of, you know, messed up shady people. So I actually, a, a, a dope deal gone bad where I was in an apartment. And listen, especially in the military or law enforcement, they tell you fight or flight. They don't tell you about the freeze, man. So when this guy puts a knife to my throat, I thought he was kidding. Like, you, there's so much adrenaline that's going on. This guy's got a knife to my throat. I thought he was kidding until I realized he's, ro he's robbing me. And he, he did. And, and by the way, at the end of this testimony, that man who robbed me came to our first church service. Two years ago, we planted a church. He came to the first church service. He came to every service after. We married him and his wife in front of the church on a Sunday morning. And now he's in the school ministry at Calvary Chapel, Bangor. So it's really cool. But at the time, him and I were two prodigal kids, uh, two prodigal Calvary kids, and he was robbing me in a, uh, in a hallway on 2nd Street in Bangor, and she was just flying in. I hadn't met her yet. In 2014, I had attempted uh, Calvary Residential Discipleship Program attempt number two. And there's only three. The third one, I got it. But this, I, I, I tried <laughs> the second time. And Pastor Ken... Uh, so gracious. And to be completely transparent with you all, uh, my first time in the program, I was so rabid on, uh, on sin, on drugs, you know. And I actually, at one point, I, I, I stole cash from the church, uh, from one of the assistant pastors' office. And, I th and later, when I came back in on the third time, I would confess that and make that right. But there was a big a cloud of skepticism. People, I think, thought it was me, but it wasn't proven. But I say all that to say that Ken still asked me to come in a second time to that program. I'd robbed from the church. People knew. Uh, I had made a mockery of discipleship. I, I mean, Ken was just so gracious with me. 
And he asked me to, in his own words, he said, Travis, we're going to do the special ed program for you. <laughs> he says, the Peter, James, and John program. You know, those three that couldn't get away from Jesus. They had to stay real close to him. He goes, you're going to live at my house, and you're going to do what I do. And, and uh, he let me live in his house, him and Jeanette and Ben. Ben was, I don't know, 11 or 12 at the time, his son. I'm, I'm 27 and uh, Ken was gracious. That was the summer now of 2014, and uh, it, it ended sour. Uh, you know, Ken suspected I was getting high again, and he, him and the elders of the church in his office was confronting me, and I'm so committed to my sin. I won't give you too much detail, but so committed to my sin that I got this tiny little fake bottle of pee in my underwear that I'm trying to hide because I won't confess that I got high the night before, and if I can just get enough time to fake the P-test, and it was humiliating, and I got busted. I'll just tell you that. It's humiliating. And uh, so round number two, uh, I, I failed that program, and three months later, in October of 2014, I was uh, so strung out, I was going into the local Walmarts, Bangor Brewer, in the area that I'm from, where I was raised, where my mom and dad were you know, businessmen and women in the community. And, and uh, on October 26, 2014, I was arrested for a robbery charge in a Walmart. I had attempted to steal a purse of, a, of an elderly lady. Um, and the police got involved, and I was arrested that night. And that, that was the last night. I didn't know it then, but that would be the last night I'd ever use a chemical. Um, but that was... You know, people talk about rock bottom, and this, this, the, the reality with rock bottom is sometimes we think we're at rock bottom, and then if we want, we can pull out the dynamite and keep going lower, right? But that was pretty low. You know, I was, I was broken. I just knew I was done running from the Lord, uh, and I was humiliated. And if you've been to county jail, if you've been to prison, you know... You don't just get visitors, right? You got to go through this process. You got to, you know, sign the visitor request form, and then that goes to whoever the CEO is, and it goes up the chain of command, and then they got to take that request form and send it out to the mail, whoever it is you wanted to visit, and then that person's got to agree and send it back. It's this big, long process, right? I was so dope sick. I was going through withdrawals. I hadn't done any of that. And on day four, the CEO knocks on my cell and says, uh, Carrie, you have a visitor. And uh, I, I remember getting myself up walking down into the visitor room and behind, you know, that big thick piece of plexiglass was Ken Graves. And, uh, you know, in his leather jacket. And it was just powerful, you know. I mean, here's a guy who had just been so kind. And, you, you know, it's like you, when you see Christ in someone, you're like, talk about unearned, unmerited, undeserved grace. And it was Ken, you know, there to visit me in a, in a jail cell. And he just said, he said, Travis, whenever you're done running from the Lord in however much time you're going to get behind these bars, when you're done, come back in and continue training spiritually. That was the invite. And by the, by the grace of God, um, I did like three months in jail. You know, I, I didn't have a huge rap sheet behind me because my mom and dad had bailed me out of so many t things. And so I didn't have a, a real bad criminal rap sheet, and so the judge gave me a deferred disposition. I pled guilty to a felony, and I, I went in on a one-year kind of probationary period, and by the end of that time, the judge dropped the felony, and so I, I came into the program. And uh, at that time, Maddie was in the school ministry. And this is important, because I made mention of uh, 
relationships. And for me, even in the midst of my sin, whether it was my teenage years or my 20s, for me, I can't speak for, any, for every man in here, but for me, even in the midst of my rebellion, I always wanted to be married. I always wanted a family. And in trying to pursue it the wrong way all the time, it just crashed and burned with heartache and pain and shame. I knew I had hit my knees in a jail cell. I'd gone through this process of crying out to God in a jail cell after me and Ken had that visit, and I was done, did time in jail, came into the program. There was a desire to be married. And the first day I came out of jail and um, came into the program for round number three, my third time in the Calvary Residential Discipleship Program, uh, I came in on a Tuesday afternoon, and on Wednesdays at the program, every guy and girl who goes through the program, Wednesdays is the best day. Because you get to sleep in an extra hour. Um, and then, as opposed to doing a lot of the daily work days, you go to class for the whole morning. And it's great. Pastor Ken and some of the other pastors teach. The men are on one side of the room. The women are on the other side of the room. They keep it pretty separate. And then after class, you go have lunch, do a few hours of work, and then you have Wednesday night service. And So it's just a good time when you're in the program. You love Wednesdays. When I came in, I'm like, just out of the program, my third out of jail, back in the program. And Maddie is in the school ministry, and she's leading worship. I'm like, she's pretty, you know? But I, I knew, I just, I knew, I'm like, I'm so far away from pursuing a relationship right now, I, you know? So I, I'm going to, can I pass off to you here? Is that a good spot? Let me yeah. pass it off at this point. <laughs> so at that point in my walk, I had been walking with the Lord for a little over a year. So when I came into the program, I knew that was the end. You know, I was so broken, so depressed, and it's so sad how we often come to the cross, right? We're like, if you mess this up, Lord, I'm taking all this ratty, messed up, like one piece left life back, or I'm just going to end it all. And so that's how I really came to him. It's pathetic, but it's, it's how I came to him, you know. Give me all of these things. And when I got there, his word came to life in a way that was never explained to me at Sunday school, or in a way that never hit my heart, I should say, um, before. And it was really the gospel. It was grace. It was truth. It was Jesus. I was seeing him come to life in scriptures. I was getting to know him in a personal relationship with him. I'd see myself in scriptures. I'd put you know, my name in these different characters of the Bible. I'd hear, um, you know, Jeremiah chapter 1, you know, and hear that he had a plan for me all along. Or Isaiah chapter 55, you know, come to the waters. Why do you spend money on what doesn't satisfy you, you know? And that made sense to me because his word did feel like water to me. It was refreshing. It was, I, I had realized I'd spent everything I had on what didn't satisfy, what would never satisfy me. And so I just kind of began to see scripture in a new life, you know, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And, you know, to me that was drug addict Maddie coming to him and, and finding rest and, you know, learning what it means to serve him and that there's joy in that. So, I did one year of the program and then, um, you know, really since the call, I was seeing girls that had gone before me serving in this role of the school of ministry and I just wanted to give him my life. I didn't give, do it perfectly, obviously, but I knew that um, I wanted to do that. I didn't want to go back into the world. I knew I was kind of on a Peter, James, and John program as well where I needed to stay as close to him as I could. So 
that is what I signed up for, was that extra year of service to him. And now I'm reading that same verse, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and it was ministry, Maddie. You know, this book wasn't written all for drug addicts. This is written for people in ministry, okay? Because, you know, his word comes to life in a new way each season. And so I would, I would see these same verses I'd underlined the year before now applying in a completely different way. Not that we look at, not that we come to scripture and say, what are you going to speak to me? You know, I was getting to know him for who he is. And these new facets of his character would come to life in a new way for that season of life. And it was this awesome thing to also get to watch these girls coming in off the streets, the same thing happening to them. And I really just fell in love with every aspect of ministry in that sense. And so I completed the year of the school of ministry and then um, was graciously offered a position on staff with the program to do the transition phase. So after you complete six months of the program, usually they'll have the girls get a job and, you know, you're coming in off the street so you don't know how to do finances and things like that. So they offered me, again, broken girl from Tennessee that didn't even finish college and all this stuff, to help girls figure out finances, figure out, um, you know, how to, how to maintain a job schedules, things like that. So that was a that was a cool role I got to be in, but also I got to watch the kids of people on staff at the church, and I really fell in love with, like, oh, I want to be a mom one day, and already by then, girls, if you know, if you've been in the church, <laughs> I wanted a husband so bad. It was, like, <laughs> really distracting almost, you know, not almost. It was very distracting, 100%, all I thought about, but I wanted to be a wife so badly, which was news to me because, again, I'd, I'd never wanted to get married in the world. I never, you know, kind of halfway feminist, all this stuff. So <laughs> I really had this desire for a husband. And then when I had graduated the School of Ministry, now I'm serving on staff, this super handsome muscle man over here <laughs> starts, starts to... <laughs> Only um, $10, she says that for me. It's all it costs. <laughs> But I'm saying that, um, you know, I had, we got to know each other as friends first, and we'd go street witnessing together, and we'd play church volleyball together, and it was a friendship that was forming, and like understood each other's sarcasm and all, all the fun stuff too, you know. But we, I will say, I had had the blessing of seeing um, him walk out overcoming this this reputation that he really had earned. I mean, he his stomping grounds was Bangor, Maine. He didn't have to go to a program in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where they'd tell him this girl was trouble. I was at a program where they're telling me, where people were telling me he was trouble, you know? So I am, you know, very... I was very blessed to see him overcome that reputation, though. There were people that didn't see him overcome that reputation yet, and I watched him walk humbly through that, let the Lord be his defender, and just fell in love with him every, more and more every day the more I got to know him. So we were getting to know each other. He had begun to pursue me, and at that time, I was actually on my way out to go to the School of Worship in California, and that was a nine-month program. And we had just started to kind of go on dates, really trying to do things the right way. Um, we held hands on one of these dates, and at that point, the the people on staff over us said, whoa, 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 this is too fast, which to you might sound crazy, but to people like us, that's a very, that's, that is exactly what we needed, right? We had done nothing but walk in impurity 
before Christ. And so we had this huge accountability um, over us. And when I tell this story, I'm, I'm trying not to make it sound like a cult. I'm trying to tell you, we submitted ourselves to these men and women who were helping us to maintain boundaries and to your focus needs to be on these people you're serving for this season, not on each other. And we are like hundred percent gas, you know, gas pedal. So that was wisdom. Like he said, we're total extremists, both of us, hundred percent extremists. And so by the time I'm leaving for California, the um, pastors on staff, Pastor Ken being the um, leader, obviously, made the decision that we should put this relationship on the altar like Abraham did and see what the Lord would do with it. And not just um, not just knowing the end of the story, you know, Abraham, he, he gets his way out and it's like, yeah, this is a great story. But I really had no idea how this would turn out. And so I left for California. Um, and actually only ended up staying four months. But it was a really hard four months. In that time, I was really wrestling with the Lord. I was really, he was doing a lot in my heart. I was reading, I was a drama queen, ladies. I was like in bed crying, reading Elizabeth Elliot. Like, oh my goodness, I just can't do life without him, Lord. All my friends were going out, you know, with with the guys, not like dating, but, you know, making guy friends. I'm like, no, no, I don't want anyone but Travis. I'm staying in, I'm studying, I'm learning my guitar. Play these like worship songs and you know minor chords I'm just so depressed just want him so bad and I am telling you I just knew that I would not be happy in life there would be no promised land unless he was my husband okay I knew it I just knew it I was obsessed with him and and I thought honestly I thought every one of my problems would finally be solved once Travis and I got together. And a lot of girls, the Lord works this out before they get, before they meet a husband. They're like, I finally settled it. And then he came along. I had not settled it. I was obsessed with the thought of being a wife, obsessed with the thought of being a mom. He brought him into my life. Now I'm, now I have like flesh and bones to be obsessed with. And I can just say, it's not that I came back and he didn't exceed all my expectations and more. But when I came back, I realized that I want to say this in the most respectful way possible because I have an amazing husband. I'm not well, saying he's you, better than any of you. You got to tell the story. Of, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll just stop there because I promise the the, the balloon gets popped about my awesomeness. It's not. In her mind. I'm trying to say this respectfully. <laughs> We're trying to get it's there. Not. <laughs> uh, all I'll say is, you know, it, while she was in the school of worship, I, you know, I had gone through a, a long portion of the program, and I, and I do want to say the genius of how the Lord used Chuck Smith and the Calvary movement of servant leadership in men and women who serve the Lord wholeheartedly, and they do it with people. And Ken and the elders and the staff and the school of ministry and all the people that God put in my life of what it tangibly meant to follow Christ, I, I don't know where I'd be without them. I'm so grateful. I know you guys had the same with, you know, as Pastor Raz and now Pastor Zach. And you guys get it. We, we, we're so spoiled in Calvary where we see people who live out their faith with people. There's no green room. There's no like Sunday morning show. Then you don't see him the rest of the week. That's not how it is. I needed real life Christianity and I needed people that were real who've been saved from sin and were living radical for Christ. And so we both experienced all that. And I had gone through that process and I was on fire for the Lord. And, you know, we went through that courting and then we had been asked to lay it down on the altar, which we did. 
and it was difficult, I agree, but we, you know, we trusted in the leadership, we trusted in God's word, and we just, we didn't communicate. But then Ken had said, hey, listen, if, if you believe the Lord has still made it clear that Maddie is the one you want to pursue and whatnot, and my time at the school ministry was coming to an end, um, he says, you know, you can pursue that. She was coming home from California for a wedding, and it just so happened that Ken was doing ministry on the West Coast. So as Ken was flying home, he was on the same <laughs> flight with Maddie. And I hadn't seen her in four months. We hadn't talked in four months, but I knew I could pick her up from the airport. It was like green light sanctioned. This was okay. But I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I don't want to go with a bunch of roses to the airport because Ken's going to be there. <laughs> but I want to impress Maddie. So it was like a real kind of a struggle. So I, I got the flowers, right? I got the yeah, flowers. I got the flowers. And I show up, and then... Okay, but can you guys... Okay, are you girls there with me, right? You've been thinking of this moment in bed crying for four months, and I built it up. Like, this is the moment, right? All my problems are going to be solved. Fireworks are going to happen. It's going to be the best. I had, like, my outfit picked up for, picked out for two and a half months. I was doing my makeup as we're landing. I couldn't even talk. I was so excited. So... I get there, right? I'm like running to him, give him this hug. And like, it was an awesome hug, okay? It was an awesome hug. But it was such a letdown. I'm not kidding. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I really don't because he is an amazing husband. But as I'm sitting doing what I've been doing, what has been my training, what has been my habit, what has been my discipline for all those months and years before I met Travis, I woke up, I opened my Bible, and that's the first thing I did in the morning. And I really think that I sense the Lord put on my heart that morning that it's because that was such a letdown because his arms will never be what the Lord's were to me all those months I was alone, all those years I was alone. He, he he will never be my salvation. He will never be the cross. He will never be, you know, the one that plucked me out of that miry clay or the one that sustains me or the one that provides every need of mine. And really that morning, like, it's not that I just was like, oh, well, then I'm done with him. It, it, but it put him in the right place in my heart. I realized who Christ had to be, Christ being Lord over my life was something completely new you you know it was truly him taking over and being and you know we walked through things in our marriage in my motherhood and you know we'll get to all that but that I realized like I have to go to to the Lord first and uh, ministry you know all of those things and again I have an amazing husband I'm not saying that he's not he's absolutely 100% designed to lead and I'm designed to follow him through this life. I don't doubt that one bit, but the Lord has to be first. Yeah, uh, Pastor Ken wrote a book, Master Mission Mate. You can read the title of the book and you kind of get the gist of it, right? You got to find out who your master is. And then what has he called you to? What's the mission? And then good time to look for that help meet. And, you know, by the grace of God, through all of our failures, but, you know, when we both came into the program, we didn't have ex wives or husbands or or kids god had been gracious to us and so we really got a clean slate and by the time we really were heading towards a wedding day we had settled who the lord of our life was mm -hmm. we knew what our mission was ken had come to me and and towards the end of my school ministry we were recording had offered a wonderful opportunity to do an, an internship 
in Hawaii, Calvary Chapel. Uh, it was the ranch church with Bud Stonebreaker. Uh, and I said, yes, I'll suffer for the Lord. I'll go to Hawaii. <laughs> so I, 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 um, I, you know, towards the end of our courtship, I got to go out and do a six-week internship at this church. It was, it was a wonderful experience. And at the end of that, given an opportunity to come back on staff, we came home. We got married in April of 2017 with our church family. Pastor Ken, of course, did the wedding. And we got on a one-way uh, plane ride to Hawaii. That was where we spent our first year and a half of marriage. And so God was so good. It was such a wonderful learning opportunity. So all of 2017, 2018, we we were serving the Lord at this little church. Um, and our pastor, Bud, at, at the time was so gracious with us. He, you know, I remember he used the phrase, um, I'm going to allow you to make your own little sandbox here as far as ministry. I'm going to not micromanage. I'm going to let you guys kind of do things. Maddie was thrown into the director of the children's ministry, and he was letting me serve in the role of an assistant. It was a wonderful experience. And we just were just so amazed by, in a relatively short amount of time, what God had done. And And when I say that, I don't mean like externally. Like there's a lot of things we could show for what God had done, like sobriety, and serving in the ministry, and marriage, reconciliation with both of our families. But any, you know, any born-again believer who's really experienced the regeneration of God is what God had really done in our hearts. I mean, I, I really could not believe how God had changed me, how God had changed my wife, how he was allowing us to serve uh, his people. Um, but we really began to, as we're kind of now coming into where we currently are, uh, serving uh, at a church in southern Maine. In Hawaii, in 2018, I really began to wrestle with, the only way I can explain it would be like a holy discontentment, where, because we know discontentment is not a good thing in the Bible. But I, I really was sensing that I was, even though serving in the ministry and had these wonderful opportunities, we were so happy, there was a sense that this was not where God had called us. And really kind of going through this struggle of trying to hear from God and hear his word and, wh- and where would he have us. And it was a really cool story. I won't really go into detail, but I really sense the Lord had called me as the leader of the family to leave the job in Hawaii and to head back to Maine. And we had just found out Maddie was pregnant at that time. Actually, we had just found out she was pregnant with twins. We had housing. We were living on the property there, you know, obviously full-time job. And we had so much in Hawaii, and there was seemingly nothing back in Maine. There was no open door for ministry. Um, The dream job, which would have been to work with Ken. Ken had like six assistant pastors. All of them had been there for 10-plus years. So I'm like, you know, I just sensed the Lord was calling us back home. So we told Bud in Hawaii, we'll give you plenty of time. We don't want to leave you hanging, but we're going to make our way back to Maine. And two weeks later, we found out that one of the assistant pastors in Maine had gone to Ken and said, hey, the Lord's calling me to go north. I'm planting a church in northern Maine. And then Ken called us not even knowing all the detail, and offered us a job to come back on staff. And so we uh, moved back home. Uh, Maddie was like in her third trimester of pregnancy, and we came back on staff at Calvary Chapel Bangor in the summer of 2018, July, August 2018. Um, And we had the privilege of working at the very church and working with men and women in the program of where just a few years before our lives were, were changed. And, and watching, like, the Word of God just radically transform people's lives. And um, it was a wonderful opportunity. Ken's got a sense of humor, by the way. I, uh, in my sin, I used to work in, like, 
restaurants, so a uh, busboy, then a waiter, then a bartender. And if you've worked in the restaurants, you know there's the front of the house and the back of the house, right? There's the guys who work in the kitchen, and there's the people in the front. And they, they, those two worlds don't usually collide. I come on staff, and Ken charges me with making all the meals for the men in the program. So my job when I came on staff, amongst other things, was I was in charge of making all the food for the 24-bed uh, dorm of men. And it was a wonderful season. But I'll say this before I, I let Maddie say some, some more. One of the things Ken also let us do was on Monday nights, we got to take over the young adults ministry. And that, that was such a highlight because, I don't need to tell you guys, you guys know, I believe this season of 18, 19, 20, 25, 30, I mean, this season right now, especially in our nation, it is so under attack. Um, I, I think, you know, I think the enemy is always looking for the, the young generation to change a culture. And, um, you know, you look at the, you know, like Barner Research has shocking statistics on this age range. Uh, they did one in 2019. Barner Research said that the millennial generation, like 55% of evangelicals believe that evangelism is flat out wrong. Christians. So there's such this pressure of our culture, like on this young generation, that if you're a Christian, fine, but you keep it to yourself. And, and then you add on top of that the sexualization of the culture and social media. And I just think it's such a minority of what you, what you people are doing, what we're doing as Christians, living this way in a culture that is so radically opposed to Christ. So when we came back on staff in 2018, we had the privilege of, of doing what Zach and Amanda do with you guys on, on Monday nights. We got to work with, with that age range, and, and uh, we're so grateful for that, that time. So, Maddie, you want to share a little bit about what's happening now? And, well, so I will say that during the time of being pregnant, at some point um, I was hit with totally unexpected, just prenatal slash postpartum. It went into after I was um, had the twins as well. Depression, just depression. Like seriously, I know because I know how to tell people to apply God's word to their depression, their anxiety, but until it's real and you're looking at this big giant that's impossible to defeat, it's, it's a totally different battle. And so, um, you know, again, I was faced with this. I wanted to bring that back around because that's what I meant when I said that he can't be the everything in my life, that there were nights where I had to run to Jesus, run to him and ask him for answers, ask him because there were, there were times where Travis helped me through nights, but there were really, really dark nights where only the word of God could lead me through. And I was able to make it through that season by God's grace with no medication or anything like that. But it was a dark season where I was having to now apply God's word in a new way. You know, those verses again that were highlighted in the program and in early days of ministry were now coming to life in a new way. And, um, but during that time, just remembering what God had called us to do and finding so much joy in serving people during that time and not being all about myself, not dwelling in those anxious thoughts, those worrisome thoughts. And then COVID happens, right? And we all say, what just happened to my life? <laughs> Everything gets thrown out. Churches shut down. All these things that I'd become comfortable in that really helped me through, like 
depression and anxiety and those kind of things for me did not look like staying in bed all day. It was like, I need to be busy. I need to have a packed schedule. And, and all this just shut down. I don't know if anyone else is wired like that. And then COVID happens and you go, what in the world? Okay, this is really dark. During that time, though, I began to watch my husband go through that holy discontentment again where he's telling me it's time. And what he meant was this thing we'd been praying for for years, you know, at some point we we both realized, my husband to begin with, that he wanted to share God's word every week. He wanted to study God's word and share it. And um, not only that, but I just saw, I saw the heart of a pastor before he was ever had a title or ordained at all. I watched him in an empty sanctuary, sit in front row. We'd pray the night before he'd get to share with a group of high schoolers, 10 high schoolers, you know, and and we would just pray, Lord, use us. Lord, fill Travis with your Holy Spirit. And I was so blessed to be there and be support, front row, obsessed with him, all that, you know. (laughs) So I was watching in this new season of life in COVID where he said, it's time, this is the time. And I'm thinking, you're crazy. Why would we start a church in the middle of a pandemic, honey? But I didn't say that. I knew what the scriptures said, right? First Peter 3. We're not supposed to give way to fear. We're supposed to call him Lord. I don't call him Lord. That's, I, asked him, I did ask him, though, when we first got married. I said, the Bible says, do you want me to call you Lord? I said, yes. Don't do that. That's really creepy. But in, our, in, in the attitude of our heart, right, that we would say, all right, you're the leader of this family, and wherever you're going to go, I'm going to follow. And oh my goodness, I'm glad I didn't speak my mind and go in his ear and start barking at him and say, this is the stupidest idea. Why would we start a church during a pandemic? Because guess what? When we opened our doors in June of 2020, that city was full of people that were done with mass mandates, done with their kids being kicked out of kids ministry because it was one too many kids, done with liberal woke pastors, and were ready for a man to come and preach God's word verse by verse, the truth of the scriptures, not leaving anything out. And it's been by God's grace, but by, I will say, a man that puts 100% of his time and effort and love into pouring into these people, that church growth has happened. The church has exploded, not by a church growth program, we've, but because... Again, people were sick of it. People were sick of the theater game, the masks and the, all of that. They were, they were sick of it. And so we've seen organic growth by, by the Spirit, absolutely. But I've also had the blessing of seeing the heart of a shepherd, not only in the pulpit, but in our home too, raising our kids, um, loving me. And I'd say that to any of you ladies, even if you don't marry a senior pastor, the things you want to look for in a man is a man that's after God's heart more than he's even after yours. You know, you'll know it when you see it, but it's also going to happen when you're putting yourself under the authority of the church, the, the, you know, leadership, wise women over you and just saying, what do you think? You know, asking pastor Zach, what, what's he all about? Tell me please, you know, but um, I look back now and I'm grateful that I listened to people that were wiser than me, that their pickers weren't as broken as mine, that were telling me, these are good things to look for. You know, I know you guys are well taught here, so I know you guys have heard the whole unequally yoked thing, as you should, that's Bible. I can promise you this, that in the, in the church family at Calvary Chapel, Greater Portland, the church that was planted a couple of years ago, we have a handful of lovely, godly women 
who anytime we see a young couple in the church that's doing the missionary dating, like one girl is pretty godly and she's always bringing her, you know, heathen boyfriend to church. You can tell he doesn't want to be there. We're always making sure that that girl goes and sees the lady who has been living for 30 years with a husband who's not uh, born again and the, the heartache it's been. So one, I know, I, I know you guys know that. Two, I, I want to share this. It was so encouraging to me that in 2019, right, so a couple months before the pandemic, I was uh, privileged to go with a good friend of mine, Josh Lawrence. Josh Lawrence was asked to do a five-minute update at uh, Calvary Chapel Philadelphia's Sunday mornings. So, you know, Joe Foch, big, healthy church, and to get five minutes for his 8, 9, 30, and 11 service, that's a big deal. And I, I got to just go with Josh. And uh, in that process, I, it was the first time I got to meet Pastor Joe Foch, and I was just kind of like peripheral on this uh, conversation. It was Joe talking to a bunch of the pastors and Josh, and I, I happened to be there listening. And he was just kind of saying in casual conversation in 2019, this would have been like maybe September 2019, he was saying he had received a lot of calls over the last year from church plants of pastors who were um, weary, discouraged, maybe thinking about canceling and coming back home, wherever their ascending church was. And they were calling, you know, these pastors were calling Joe. And Joe said that he had told all of them that the Lord was mending his nets and to keep being faithful. It was one of those things where on the way home, me and Josh was like, did you hear that? I almost sounded prophetic. Wasn't that cool? And we were kind of pumped up about what, what Pastor Joe had said. And who would have known that a few months later the world shut down and the men, some of these small little churches that were just faithful doing what they were doing and then continued to be faithful even when it wasn't popular or legal in some states, that God actually had been mending his nets. And I say all that to say that that's so true individually in our culture right now, where the world is completely nuts right now. We agree, right? Now listen, you guys live in Florida, and it's a little bit more sheltered. you got a cool governor, and things aren't as bad. Listen, we live in Maine. Our governor is whacked out. And I'm not even trying. I mean, she's, she has got a crosshairs on the church, big time, as a, as a lot of the liberal governors do. And what's happening right now, I mean, Canada is a couple hundred miles north of where we live. Pastors being thrown in jail still in Canada. So what's happening in the world right now is crazy. And Christ is at work through it. We have witnessed this little revival where we are in Portland, Maine, just by honoring his word and teaching it and doing what Calvary has always done, just, you know, being spirit-led and doing fellowship with one another. And... Uh, the culture that you guys are a part of in this age range is so desperately in need of men and women, whether single or married or courting towards marriage, to be living in holiness, to be on fire for Christ, to be sold out, knowing that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior regardless. And uh, it's, it's, it's an exciting time to be serving Christ right now. And so those decisions, like who am I going to marry? Who am I going to spend my life with? It is the biggest decision apart from following Christ on how that's going to affect your service to him. And I'm sure you guys, you, you guys know that. I, I don't know if we left anything out. I think that was, we, we covered a lot, but Zach, Amanda, I don't know how you guys want to transition from here. I don't know. Good? Maddie, did I leave anything out? I told you about Aaron Davis, the guy who robbed me. He's now serving the Lord. It's so cool. <laughs> It's so a happy that was a happy ending there. Um, all right, can I can I pray? Can I pray out, and then we'll we'll go from there. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we had to do just this. 
I'm so grateful for uh, the way you've used any one of our lives, that you would call us into your service. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that truly does change us and it transforms us. Thank you, Lord, for your written word, the text message from heaven. Thank you for the power that it has to set us free. Lord, we acknowledge that the world we're living in today is in complete rebellion to you. Lord, we think about the sad state of affairs in our own nation. Lord, without a doubt, persecution is on the rise. It seems to be coming to our own doorstep here in America. Lord, we pray the same way the apostles prayed, that you would grant us a boldness mm -hmm. through it. Lord, I pray for every man and woman here, many who are in relationships, many who are single, some maybe who are married. Lord, I pray that you would be the Lord of their lives individually. Lord, thank you for this generation, those who are here on a Monday night because of their faith in you. I pray you would pour out your blessing upon each and every one of them. I pray you'd give them the spirit of holiness to please you. I pray you would raise laborers up here, Lord, men and women who would serve you on the mission field, men and women who would serve you vocationally in the ministry, men and women who would raise children who would fear and honor the Lord. Lord, I pray you'd use Pastor Zach and Amanda, the leadership team here at Calvary Chapel, Miami. I pray you'd continue to raise a banner high in this ministry. And Lord, we pray that as persecution may come, that a revival will be the, the product of it, a refining of your church, and that the church house would be packed with souls. Use the individuals in this room, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.